Welcome to the Equipping You in Grace podcast, hosted by Dave Jenkins. The Equipping You in Grace podcast is a podcast about helping Christians develop a biblical worldview in a conversational tone about issues inside and outside the church. Now, for today's episode, let's join our host, Dave Jenkins. All right, guys, welcome back to the Cooking and Grace podcast. My name is Dave, and I'm the host for this podcast. And with me today, I have my friend, Ben. Ben, welcome back to the Cooking and Grace podcast. Hey, brother, thank you for having me. You're welcome. Can you uh, catch us up on what's been happening? And I think it's been about a year or, or two. And what's it's been happening right. in your life, life, marriage, ministry, and what are you working on ministry project-wise? Sure, yeah. Uh, well, our family's doing well. Uh, my wife, Christy, and my boys, Henry and Hugh, are uh Growing, uh, we we homeschool, so this has been a fun year of, of just being together at home and uh, working and schooling and doing life. Um, Ministry-wise, uh, Thoughts for Young Men, the book we're going to be talking about, came out a couple months ago, three or four months ago. So that was fun to finish and to see uh, get published. And we look forward, perhaps, to um, Thoughts for Young Women uh, at some point in the future. I, I hope to begin working on that in a few a few weeks and look forward to. Uh, putting that together for um, godly young women uh, that um, that are in the church and that might benefit from Raul's wisdom. Wonderful, wonderful. Love hearing that. And uh, you want to tell us about this this work that you've done on Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle that you edited? Sure. Well, it was originally published in 1888 in Thoughts, uh, excuse me, in the Upper Rooms. So that's a book that, that some of your, your readers may have. Uh, and if you do, it's it's right in there. Um, it's filled with great insights uh, from Ryle to young men that are, that were derived from uh, 40, uh, 40 years or four decades of pastoral ministry, three decades as a parent of young men, and his own personal experience as a young man. So there, there are rich insights here derived from, like I said, ministry, his own home, and his own life. Uh, the book itself is broken into four parts. It's very simple. It's very straightforward. Uh, part one is reasons for warning young men. Part two, special dangers uh, for young men. Number three, advice for young men. And four, rules for conduct uh, for young men. And so uh, what I did is broke broke the original um, Thoughts for Young Men up into a series of 23 readings and uh, lightly edited the text. So move, remove some words that young men might stumble over. Uh, like vexed or fancied things like that. Uh, I've been using this work with with um, with students I teach uh, in middle school, and I would give them a copy of the original uh, Thoughts for Young Men, and I would have them circle words that they didn't understand, uh, and some of those words needed explanation. So if you see like the word repentance, um, it's important that they understand what that word means. So I created an info box in the text to explain what repentance is. But there are other words, like I said, vexed or fancied, things like that, that they just, they're sort of Victorian words that they that they weren't familiar with. And so I lightly edited those and came up with a modern equivalent. Um, we added, uh, or I added uh, ESV quotations uh, instead of King James uh, quotations. Uh, each reading ends with a summary that sort of encapsulates Ryle's message there. Then there are a series of three or four reflection questions. Uh, there's info boxes to 
explain critical concepts like repentance, like justification, but also allusions like Ryle mentioned the penitent thief. Well, I explained to them who the penitent thief is and where you can find him and what Ryle means by that. Uh, there's also memory verses for our readers to, to memorize a verse that really anchors the message of that chapter uh, in the Word, um, and suggestions for further readings are down there at the bottom. So if you want to follow up the chapter on fear of young men, uh, I'll often point readers to a passage in the scriptures that Ryle alluded to in the chapter and say, hey, go read this and to get better in, insight into what Ryle means. We also added at the end a discussion guide for leaders. And so uh, each chapter, each reading, at the end of it, there's three or four reflection questions. In the back, I've taken each reading, uh, added a summary to be used like in a small group setting, perhaps, uh, that summarize, so there's a summary uh, that summarizes the reading. And then rather than three or four questions, there's about 10 questions that uh, someone could use to walk a group of young men through uh, the reading together in a group setting. So that's that's the new edition of Thoughts for Young Men in a Nutshell. Wonderful, wonderful. That's great. Um, you, know, you were talking about how you use this with young men. How do you how do you envision this uh, this project being used by? You know, I know you use it personally, so maybe you want to talk to that a, a little bit more. But uh, just in general, how do you envision this book being used by uh, by others to help young men? Sure. Um, well, I, we designed it to be used in one of three ways. Uh, first, as a as a book for young men to read on their own. So. So in one sense, um, we we wrote it and edited it so that you can put this in the hand of a young man, a young man that you care about, whether it's you know a friend or yourself or a son or a grandson, and they can just open it and read it every single day. So uh, and the way it's broken down is you could read one reading or one chapter a day for a month and be done with it in about a month. So it could it can work as a devotional uh, reading or devotional guide in that way. We also designed it to be used in one-to-one -one discipleship. So um, I, I look forward to reading through this book with my own sons, Henry and Hugh. That's one of the ways I designed it so that we can read it together and discuss it together in a relatively short amount of time. So for my middle schoolers, just to give you some idea how long it takes them to read, it usually takes them somewhere around eight minutes to, to, to read a, a specific reading. So it's not, you know, you don't have to sit down for 30 minutes and read. Uh, students who read quicker will probably get it in five or six. Students who read a little bit slower will, or young men, excuse me, will get it about, uh, you know, in 10, 10 or 11 minutes. But uh, we, we designed it to be read in the sort of one sitting, the chapters in one sitting settings. Um, so individual reading, one-to-one, -one, and then lastly, we designed it to be used in group settings. So we we want and hope that uh, youth ministers, that uh, parents, um, that small groups would be able to take this book, read it together, use the, the discussion guide in the back, and sort of walk through each chapter, each reading, through the questions that we've provided. And uh, I'm, I do this in, in, in middle, with middle schoolers now. So on uh, Fridays, we get together and we, we take this book out. Um, the girls go with their Bible study teacher. The young men are with me. And we are going to open this book uh, in chapter one, and we're going to read it together. And then I'm going to walk them through those 10 questions, which are geared to, to move, to, to think through and digest through the reading from beginning to end. Yeah, that's really, really good. Well, I know we've talked about J.C. Ryle before. Do you want to you know, briefly sketch out his life and who he was and 
those kind of things. Uh, yeah, sure. I'll be glad to. Um, and I'll and I'll try not to take a long time doing it. Right. So, <laughs> Doral was born in 1816. He died in 1900. Uh, he's a contemporary of Charles Spurgeon. He was regarded uh, by his contemporaries as the Anglican Spurgeon, uh, which was a which would have been a compliment to to him. Um, he was born in a wealthy home. He grew up in an unspiritual home um, and uh, went to private school at Eton and then transferred to Oxford. The Lord was working in his life during those years, although he he wasn't, and he he later said he, he wasn't a Christian at all, but through a series of providential events, he came to faith in the Lord. It all culminated in in a faithful um, uh, visiting a church in Oxford while he was getting over a sickness, getting ready to take his exams. He just sort of stumbled into a church on Sunday morning, and the reader uh, read Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10 in a very slow, emphatic way, and he was converted there. That was sort of the last piece of the puzzle, the last domino to fall, and he said he left there, you know, launched as a Christian. That was the moment. He had uh, those verses written on his uh, tombstone. Uh, in, in 1900. So um, he left, he did well at Oxford. He graduated with a first class. He was converted just before then. And he went home, not intending to go into ministry, but intending to go into the law or politics. Uh, and so he, he moved home. His parents did not like the fact that he was an evangelical. Everybody tried to talk him out of it. Um, but the more they sort of fought uh, him, the more he fought back. And it, he said it ended up rooting his convictions more firmly in his heart. Um, all of this changed when his father went bankrupt. Um, bankruptcy in the early and middle 19th century is very different than it is today. Um, there was no limited liability at the time, so everything had to be sold to pay creditors, and everything was sold to pay creditors, including clothes, um, including horses, I mean, personal effects, all those things had to be sold. Uh, and there was a social stigma that um, was attached to bankruptcy. So if you've watched or read Jane Austen novels, you know that that bankruptcy was one of these social sins that if you committed it, you were, you know, a social leper. And people who once knew you and fellowshiped with you and considered you a friend and an equal now regarded you as as less than and in some ways uh, polluted and corrupt or, you know, they couldn't touch you. Uh, and that happened to Ryle. And uh, his political aspirations were dashed in a moment he felt like he was shut up to go into, the only option he had left was to, to go into the ministry of the Church of England. It's not a great way to think about pursuing a calling to ministry, although I suspect that he was already thinking through and wrestling through these things too. And we know that some of his friends who were instrumental in helping him find a church to serve in probably were nudging him in that way anyway, because he had gifts as a speaker, a great mind. Um, and a, he was a serious evangelical. And so uh, he got he entered into the Church of England, um, began to try to figure out how to do ministry. Remember, he went to college not intending to go into ministry, but to go into politics. And so he just began a series of ministry experience, experiments to try to figure out how to do this and how, how to preach and how to teach. And he said his first years were miserable, and he failed over and over again. But through that process of a trial and error, he developed that distinct Ryle voice that's characterized by simplicity, by clarity, by boldness, and by a focus on the essentials of the gospel. I mean, those things characterize his writing, his preaching, his teaching, everything he wrote. Those are sort of the hallmarks of, of his ministry. He developed that, and over the next um, 
you know, like 60 years, he rose through the ranks uh, from serving in a small church to serving in a, a little bit bigger church. He became a uh, canon, um, which is a position of leadership in the church. He was ultimately elevated to, the, to become the first bishop of Liverpool, which was the second a city of the British Empire, um, and that took place in 1880. He served as the first pastor there until his death in 1900. And he uh, wrote a lot of wonderful books that I encourage your readers to uh, and your hearers to uh, check out, like Old Paths, Practical Religion. He wrote 24 biographies. Uh, you can look at old um, Christian leaders of the last century, which are phenomenal. Uh, New Light from Old Times. Uh, he wrote phenomenal commentaries on the Gospels, like expository thoughts on Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Those are outstanding. Um, and it's worth noting that those were originally written not for the pastor's study, but for individual devotional reading. Um, and he wrote a, a ton of other wonderful books. Holiness, I think, is a spiritual classic. Uh, it, it, I think, presents Reformed evangelical and Puritan spirituality with simplicity and clarity like nothing else. I mean, I, I've described it in other places as the Pilgrim's Progress stated propositionally. I think that's definitely uh, true. So he's a great author, great writer, great man, great minister, um, and we wanted, that's one of the reasons I wanted to get thoughts for young men and into young men's hands, because as you probably know, there's just not a ton of good, good literature out there for young men. And quite frankly, much of it is, is just about sexual purity, which is definitely important, but there's certainly more to, to Christian discipleship than that piece. And Ralph certainly discusses that in one of the chapters, but there's more to it than that. And so if you check out thoughts for young men, I think you're going to get a wonderfully robust um, presentation of Puritan Reformed evangelical spirituality for young men in a medium that they can understand, and uh, and it confronts you. <laughs> I mean, Raul confronts you. He he directly addresses his reader uh, over and over and over again, and it's just a great. Anyway, I was it was an honor to be able to to put this in young men's hands again. That's a that's a great answer, um, and you're so right. You missed. Contemporary books for men, as we talked about even before uh, this recording, are just, they're just highly theoretical. Right. And it's like, okay, we need the theology, but we need it help. Like, what is this? What do these even mean? Like, and we don't need it. Like, I'm not saying or advocating for we take a cookie cutter or cookie cutter approach and saying, hey, this is what this looks like no we right. have to teach the principle we have to teach the theology and the principle and that's i think what ryle does so well in this book Absolutely. and in any book um so thank you for your work on this um yeah well getting into the questions here what are what are some correct particular dangers for young men today well here let me tell you what ryle said in 1888 okay so what uh, 125 years ago 130 something years ago he said that the, the five big dangers for young men are pride pleasure, spiritual thoughtlessness, like not giving thought or concern to your soul, uh, contempt for religion, and the fear of man. Now, as I thought about dangers today in 2021, what what would I add to that list? And, and honestly, I came up with nothing. <laughs> uh, quite honestly, I think that covers it. I mean, young men struggle with pride, uh, mm -hmm. and the devil owns young men through pride. Uh, social media just makes that, that and so do social media, I think, amplifies that that temptation. Um, pleasure, obviously, that is a, Rao calls a lust, the young man's sin. And I think rightly so. That's something for a young man to avoid and watch out for. Uh, but I really like the last three, just 
carelessness about your soul. Um, Ryle mentions that in, in 1888 when roughly half of the population attended church every week. Now, even you know before COVID, what percentage of uh, young men were in church every week? I mean, it's astronomically lower than 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 that. Yeah. I'm, I'm quite sure. Uh, and so, spiritual thoughtlessness is, and there's so many more, so many more distractions that can take our mind off of our souls um, and eternity. And so, I think Ryle's dead on there. Contempt for religion, you know, Christianity is is weak. Um, it's shameful. It is. I mean. Think of all the, the the current monikers that can be used to describe evangelical Christianity today. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of temptations to dismiss Christianity for all these reasons. And I think the fear of man, I think, I think we're going to look at a question or we're going to talk about that in particular. I think Ryle is, is just so uh, insightful to put his finger on that because I think that is, that's critical. And certainly with the young men I know, um, young men want approval from from their peers, from other people, from their pastor, from their parents. And um, that fear of man, that temptation is a real big deal. So I wouldn't add anything to it. I don't know what to add to it because he seems like he covers all the bases pretty well. But is there anything you would add to it? I don't, I don't think so. I think that's really, I think that's really good. Well, you were just mentioning the fear of man. What is so dangerous about the fear of man? I think Ra would say it's a powerful and all persuasive idol. Uh, And he discusses this in, in chapter 10, and this is the last of the, the special dangers that Raul mentions, and I suspect this is the one that concerns him most. Uh, let me just, if you, if you don't mind, let me just uh, turn turn with you there in, in the book and he, listen to what, what he says about the fear of young men. He says, the fear of young man lays a trap. It's terrible to observe the power it has over most minds, especially young minds. Few seem to have any opinions of their own or think for themselves. They're like dead fish. They go along with the stream and tide. They hate the idea of going against the tide of popular opinion. In a word, the opinion of the day is their religion, their Bible, and their God. I think it is an idol. Uh, And I think Raoul just hits it right on the head. He goes on to say, the thought, what will my friends say of me, nips many good desires in the bud. The fear of being looked at, laughed at and made fun of keeps many good habits from being taken up. There are Bibles that would be read this very day if owners had the courage. They know they ought to read them, but they are afraid. What will people say? There are knees that would be bent in prayer this very night, but they fear. But the fear of man prevents it. What would my wife, my brother, my friend, my companion say if they saw me praying? And I think a lot of young men today, even Christian young men today, uh, are afraid to be more zealous, uh, afraid to be more committed, more wholeheartedly devoted, more openly uh, Christ-like for that very reason, for the, because of the, the fear of man. And so for, for Ryle, I think the fear of man, why is it so dangerous? It keeps young men from becoming Christians. And secondly, it keeps a young, young men who are Christians from living a public, zealous, devoted life for Christ, and in essence, from living a useful life for Christ. And that's what Raul would say. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's so good. I mean, I think that, you know, we, social media allows us today through smartphones to be somebody that really that we're not, you know, we can play, we can play pretend and we can think, oh, well, I'm better than, better than I really am, or because I have X number of followers. So then people validate my opinions. And, and so they, then, then you get into this mindset that, oh, well, I'm okay. I'm, I'm better than I am. And so we have, what does that happen? Like you were mentioning the pride, that's where the pride comes in and then the vanity and, 
the, well, then I have to seek approval for other people and I need their pat on the back. I need their likes. And that's, that's idolatry sure. at that point. Um, and, and that's what cripples, I think, young men more than anything. And especially with, you know, we'll talk about lust and temptation here in a minute, but I think that's another, another thing that cripples young men today is, you know, it's, it's just an endless cesspool with the cell phones and the, right. the laptops and where it's everywhere and, right. it's, and it's in their face. It's in the schools. It's, you know, it's not even just guys, it's the young ladies, um, sure. you know, how they dress and, you know, how they want to be perceived by other people and, um, you know, how they're, they're being raised and taught to. And so it's not, it's not just like I'm saying, oh, it's just the woman's fault. Cause that's, that's, that's not the answer, right. <laughs> uh, but, but it's, it is, it is, it's, it, it's, it's a whole complex thing. And um, it's, it's really it's really sad, but it cripples our young men um, and it leaves them very vulnerable. And the most, and the other thing I think I would say probably that that wasn't in Ryle's day, it's our, in ours, it's the problem of fatherlessness. Hmm. You know, most young men have no fathers. And, and so then they go and they look for all those things that they shouldn't to find all the things that uh, th that they won't that it won't help them it won't bring them anything but um, they, it's just it's just endless cesspool. Well, it's interesting. You know, you mentioned the fatherless fatherlessness issue. Uh, in some sense, it was that situation wasn't as problematic then as it is now. But in another, like Ra was sent away to school for ten months. <laughs> Like yeah. every year, right? So he is gone for 10 months out of the year. Uh, when he's Bishop of Liverpool, uh, there are uh, scores of young men from Ireland who leave home at a young age to come work and make money in the docks. So, so that, you know, our their source of fatherlessness and ours are different, but there is a, there are some parallels there where young men live without supervision, uh, live without accountability, live without guidance. Uh, you know, Ryle himself, I mean, I think if you read, if you've ever read duties for parents by Ryle, that's a really interesting book to read. Uh, and it's a really good book to read by the way, too. Um, but Ryle wrote that as a fairly young man, and it's and it, before he was married and had kids. <laughs> so, huh. so what does Ryle have to say about duties for, for parents? Well, he's thinking about his own childhood, where his parents never said anything to him about his own soul. And his dad worked at the bank on Sundays when he should have been, uh, you know, keeping the Sabbath. His, he said his, he rarely remembers his mother reading the Bible or praying with them ever. And so... A lot of what Ryle does, just in case you wanted to know, he's responding to and try. He's, he's sort of looking at his own the, the deficiencies in his spiritual guidance as a as a as a young person and trying to remedy those and write to people like him. If you read his autobiography, after he's converted, he says, "You know, I was basically left all on my own, and the only thing or the only helps I had were books." Um, which is not surprising that as soon as Ryle gets into ministry, he starts writing books um, to help other people and, uh, and to keep them from making many mistakes that he made. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really, really good. Really good. What priority did uh, Ryle place on daily Bible reading? Oh, it was a top priority. I think he would say that it, along with, with prayer, were the top private means of grace for anybody. Uh, he discusses this in, in chapter 15 of the book. Uh, and like you mentioned, he doesn't just say, read your Bible. 
he offers some help, some outlines, some guidance, how to do that. He said, read your Bible um, habitually. You know, one of the things that's interesting about Ryle and his contemporaries, we don't realize this, is that all of them grew up or were educated in the classics like Aristotle. And so for Aristotle, a virtue is virtue is acquired through habit. And Ryle would say that's how you acquire spiritual virtue through through habit. And so he says, read your Bible habitually, read your Bible prayerfully, read your Bible reverently, read your Bible regularly. Um, and so, and one of the things I like about Ryle is that he doesn't say, okay, you must get up at, you know, 7 a.m. or 6 a.m. or 5 a.m. You know, he, he understands, he doesn't, I think he avoids the traps of legalism and says, you must do it this way. But he does offer, I think, concrete advice. Like I said, read it habitually, prayerfully, reverently, regularly. Um, and I think that's helpful. Uh, I, I think that I appreciate the fact that that he is not just you know, sort of shaking his finger saying, read your Bible, read your Bible, but he's telling you ways you can do that practically. Uh, And I've got to mention the quote at the very end. Many of you, many of your readers, I know that you will have known this quote. I have it actually on a a bookmark that I got from um, like a reformed branding group, but but he ends the chapter on the Bible with this quote, value all books in proportion as they are agreeable to scripture. Those that are nearest to it are best. Those that are farthest from it and most contrary to it are the worst. And so for him, you know, your, your commitment to the Bible is not merely um, just habitually read your Bible and that's it and just forget about it and compartmentalize your life off in that sort of way. But, but he would go on to say, in every book you read, value it as much as or as little as it's agreeable to the scripture. So for him, it's, it's not merely about some sort of formalistic approach to Bible reading, but rather it's, it's prayerful, reverent, regular, habitual reading that's integrated into your soul and that you use to become the standard of life um, by which you judge doctrine, ministers, churches, and even other books. Amen, brother. Yeah. Amen. And, and we need that today. I mean, sure. you know, I just think of, I think of, in it's been 20 years for me, probably longer for you, you know, in high school. And I just think of, what's happened in those 20 years oh man and and what's happening with our young people today and the challenges they face and and i and i can't honestly you know in high school for me i was in a good church where they were preaching you know expository sermons in fact we were even in adult sundays and youth sunday school we were going through uh systematic theology so we were you know learning those things and and we're my senior year in high school and those types of things. And they were building into us these categories. And, you know, I didn't fully grasp that at that time, but it's, it's now I do, obviously that's, you know, 20, 21 years later, 22 years later. And uh, I mean, I'm thankful for that kind of investment. You know, I would say that I would say to the, to the youth pastor or any youth worker, I would say that's, that's absolutely vital you know, they may not understand it and and be okay with that. But down the road, I mean, the the investment is gonna it's gonna pay off. You know, prior helping them prioritize Bible reading and systematic mm-hmm. theology and learning what biblical theology is and right. and encouraging them to read good Christian books and have those available Absolutely. is just so so vital. And you know, that really fueled a, a love for theology for me. Um, early in high school, and that's never left, um, sure. and never never will. So I would just say, you know, to the to the youth worker, to the youth pastor, to the to the Christian parent, 
you know, just keep at that, you know, keep encouraging that, you know, don't force it down their throat, but just make it available. You know, right. and I think they'll, I think they'll find that uh, to be captivating. And once they, once they find it for themselves, I mean, there's that they'll just take off and go boom, you know, right, their right. life will grow and, and that'll, that'll just be, um, it's, it's just really important. And I think Raul would say that, that, that this go, that, your commitment to the Bible and your Bible, the, you know, ingestion and digestion. And I know this is this is something near and dear to your heart since you just wrote a book about uh, curing biblical illiteracy. You know, Ryle, when he talks about the fear of man, says this, young man, I want you all to be free from this bondage. That's the fear of man. I want you to care nothing for man's opinion when the path of obedience is clear. And so for Ryle, you can't really combat the fear of man if you don't know what the Word of God says. Uh, And you can't make those stands that you need to make if you're ignorant about what the path of duty is. And so so for Ryle, um, you're going going to succumb to the fear of man if you don't know what God says. And so you've got to get the Word of God in. And when the path of duty is clear, that's where you take your stand, um, come what may. And... um, yeah, I, I, you just for for Ryle and for people in Ryle's spiritual tradition, for their Puritan Reformed Evangelical spiritual tradition, um, the Word of God is just fundamental. There's nothing nothing else to say about that. Um, you can't go very far in the Christian life, or you could perhaps you might say you can only go as far as your knowledge of the Bible will, will take you. Um, in general, so Amen. Yeah. yeah, Amen. It's a it's delight. Uh, to I, I say in the book, it's a it's a lightful duty, and I think Riot would agree with that. Absolutely, you know, absolutely. Would, you know, it's a delight that we have sixty six books that we that God delights over, and He summons us, He invites us to to open that book and to read it and to know God, um, as JC as JI Packer would say. Um, and and we get to enjoy that. We get to eat from the from the book, and we get to you know dine at the at that table. Uh, I'm talking in Ryle language now. That's uh, right. That's right. <laughs> you know. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean it's 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 awesome. I mean, and I'm a huge fan of Ryle's impact on my thinking and in a number of ways on this too. So it's uh, really, really awesome. So good. Good. What uh what advice does Ryle have on pursuing Christian friendship? This is huge. Um, and this is, I think, is incredibly practically valuable because I think you can make the case that that your friends as a young man are one of the most uh, formative influences on your life. Raul knows this. Um, of course, this was an issue. This was something that the uh, that Plato and Aristotle talked about. I mean, Raul and Raul would have read them. Uh, you, you know, friendship was critically important to uh, to virtue formation, uh, to the classical philosophical tradition. And it's important. Um, it's important to Ryle because it's important in, in the Bible. Uh, and Ryle's own life was shaped by friends. So one of the, the turning points in his own spiritual pilgrimage is when he was out hunting uh, with a friend and he and his friend were, were hunting pheasant, I assume, and Ryle shot and missed and he swore, he, he cursed. And his friend uh, rebuked him and told him to stop and think and pray. Um, he said that's the first time in his life anyone had ever told him to do that. And he said it made a deep spiritual impression, although he wasn't he didn't know it at the time. What's remarkable at the at the end of the book, there's a quote. There's a quote from Ryle to this young man's uh, widow, uh, many many years later, and this is what he says to the widow of his friend who rebuked him while they were hunting. 
Um, and he said this, and now he is gone, the oldest, most godly, most faithful friend I have ever had to whom my soul was indebted 65 years ago. He was the first person who ever told me to think, repent, and pray, and I shall never forget him. Um, so friendship was one of the providential means God used to, to draw Ryle to himself and to, and to draw him back from, um, from sin and wickedness. Uh, but let me you know, this chapter is so good, and this chapter is very challenging. And I suspect if you're dealing, if you're reading this on your own, which I would encourage 41, almost 42-year-old men like myself to do, it's it, it's, it's relevant to you too, and to 60 and 80-year-old men. Um, but I imagine the chapters that you are most frustrated by are the ones that are most important. And I know with the young men that that, that I minister to, um, this chapter, chapter 16, about your friends is one of the ones that gets their uh, backs up a little bit. I mean, listen to the sort of the things he says. He says, for another thing, never make a close friend of anyone who is not a friend of God. Now, I, I, th I think in our world, we, we tend to get that around. I mean, and we turn that up, upside down and we, or we contradict it all together and say, no, you need to, you need to make friends with with, with unbelievers. And I think Raul would depend, he would want you to define what do you mean by friend? Like, do you mean be kind? Do you mean be generous? Do you mean be loving? Do you mean be inviting? Do you mean be evangelistic towards these folks? Of course, all those things. But Raul's talking about something far more than just casual acquaintances. He's saying that, that you should, a believer should not make a close friend of anyone who's not a friend of God. He said this, never be satisfied with the friendship of anyone who will not be useful to your soul. So I, so I asked my, I asked my kids, uh, my, my middle schoolers straight up, you know, is there a friendship you would end for the sake of your soul? Yeah. And that room gets quiet pretty quick. Um, and that's because they have friends they know that aren't good for their souls. And I imagine if I were talking to um, an adult Sunday school class, to the men in that class or the women, uh, I imagine the response would be pretty much the same. Uh, Raul then goes on to describe what kind of friends you should choose. And I love this. It's a very quotable uh, portion of the book, as much of the book is. He says this, what kind of friends should you choose? Choose friends who will benefit your soul, friends whom you can really respect. Friends whom you would like to have near you on your deathbed. Friends who love the Bible and are not afraid to speak to you about it. Friends you would not be ashamed of acknowledging at the coming of Christ and at the day of judgment. Um, yeah. That's strong medicine. Yeah. But I think it's 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 good medicine. It's healthy medicine. Um, there he, he and I and I love the way he he sort of views the world eschatologically. Right? He's saying um, like choose friends that you want ministering comfort to you as you're dying. Choose the kind of friends that you wouldn't be ashamed of when Christ returns and when you stand before him in judgment. I mean, that's that's a, that is a, that's strong medicine, but it's also safe, I think. I think that would be a good dividing line. And we and our discussions don't when we discuss this, when I discuss this with the young men I teach, uh, our discussions get pretty quiet uh, in this chapter. And when that happens, I know we're in a good chapter. And so we just sort of dr drill down more and more there. Yeah. It makes me think of it reminds me of of something I used to play, you know, sports competitively and had a lot of friends. And I remember this one guy, it was after high school and he and I spent a lot of time playing tennis, basketball. Um, and we would even run and he was, he was very gifted athletically. And, uh, but we, we drifted apart and I remember him asking me one time, he's like, so are you still, you know, really following Jesus and staying close to him? And, um, the question, the question was innocent, um, 
you know, as far as it goes, but there was a real, there was actually something else that he was asking um, in the question, you know, because he wasn't a Christian. Right. Um, are you basically done with following? The question really was, are you basically done following Jesus? Right. Know, so that we can be friends again. Right. And, it, and, it, and it, it wasn't that I wasn't friends with him. It wasn't that I didn't enjoy spending time with him. Sure. It was just that he was into drugs. He was into alcohol. Right. He was into pursuing. He was a ladies man. And he was right. known as a ladies man. And I didn't uh, spend as much time with him. And I know that bothered him. And I know that it bothered other people. But it, it just kind of draws out like what you what you were just saying, because I realized you know, I can either go down and I had a lot of friends who were popular because of where I lived and growing up and those kind of things. And, um, but I realized, you know what, <laughs> it's not gonna, this isn't gonna benefit me. It's not gonna, it's not gonna help me to grow. Um, and the closer you let the, the, those types of people get to you. And I have, there was a time in my life when I did, let, I, I, I reversed this and, and it did affect me. Um, right. It, it did affect my walk with God. It did affect uh, my pursuit of holiness. And um, it's not worth it. It's right. not worth letting those, not, not those types of people, um, but but people that aren't following Christ close to you, um, because they'll influence, as Proverbs talks about, your your morals, your ethics, your the way that you approach life. And what we need, life is too short for that. Sure. That's right. I would say uh, we have to be pursuing Christ wholeheartedly. Mm -hmm. We need to be fearing him. We need to be walking with him so that we can be that witness to those right. people. That's you know, right. It's not that we don't care about them. It's not that we don't um, want to be around them. We certainly should. You know, that's the opposite air. Right. Right. So we're not just having a holy huddle, but we're also having those kind of friendships that are close to us so that we they can spur us on so that we have real accountability uh, so that when we talk to those types of friends, you know, that those people that we know well and they know us, we can actually speak truth to them and they actually see that there is something different about us. Sure. Right. Uh, so I think that's that's an important thing too to say. And and this is just you know it, it it's it's basic. I mean this isn't like Ryle sort of making things up. This is Proverbs, like you said, "He who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm." That's that's Solomon. That's not Ryle. Ryle's just reminding us that that's true, and um, and asking us to think about that practically in our own lives and friendships. Yeah, that's good. What was Ryle's counsel on? Um... Uh, fleeing temptation. It's it's really simple, and it's really unpopular chapter, I imagine. <laughs> so, oh yeah, this is the first. This is the first sentence, and really, it tells you everything you need to know about Ryle's advice here. He said, "Resolve by God's help to shun everything which may prove to be an opportunity for sin and temptation." So he he doesn't say just flee temptation. He says shun everything which may prove to be an opportunity. For sin and temptation. Um, and I think that that advice is so good, so relevant, so wise. He mentions, you know, avoid idleness, avoid worldly amusements. This will get, this will ruffle feathers for sure. But really it all funders, uh, uh, falls under the sort of larger umbrella of, uh, he says this, you know, young men, do your best to stay away from everything that may injure your soul. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, uh, Sexual sin is is one of those things. Uh, obviously, 
the ubiquity of pornography and its ease of access, you know, falls under these things, but it, but other things do too. And, and I think Ryle's advice is, is, is so good and it's not legalistic and it's practically wise and pastorally wise. Look, if you know something is going to shun anything, you know, will, that might present an opportunity to tempt you into sin. Yeah. No. People, young men don't want to hear that. No, no. <laughs> uh, middle-aged men do not want to hear that. Uh, no. Old men don't want to hear that. But but I think that that he's right, and he and he makes a he he has a powerful statement here, and I don't think we think through this. He says, "What's the use of praying? Lead us not into temptation, unless you are yourselves careful not to run into it, mm-hmm. and to pray, deliver us from evil, unless you desire to keep out of its way." And I really think that's a, you know, I, I, I imagine if I were to sort of see a transcript of of my prayer life, particularly my repentance prayer life after falling to some temptation. Um, you know, I, I, I think I would be one of the ones who could be guilty of, of praying for deliverance from temptation. And yet I willingly put myself before it in in some way. Um, and so Raul, I think he's just so good here. Like he is in so many ways, like shun every opportunity that might lead you into sin and temptation. I just don't think you can beat that advice. I think it's biblical. I think it's wise. I think it covers the whole gamut of, of things. Um, and it's just, it's, it's easy to say, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to say it's sort of hard to do, but it's very practical. Like if you know X may lead you to, uh, may tempt you to sin or uh, may, may, may cause you to stumble, then shun that. And that's, that's it. <laughs> um, that's good. Yeah. Great chapter. Chapter 18. It's a winner. What was uh, Ryle's counsel on prayer briefly? Briefly. Sorry. Uh, I'll try, I'll try to be brief. Uh, he it's says, okay. Must pray. You must pray. He says that over and over again in the chapter. You must pray. You must pray. You must pray. Um, you know, it is evidence that you're a real Christian, right? He says God has no dumb children. Like, if you have the spirit of adoption in you, you pray. Uh, if you've been born again, you pray. Um, and, and I think that he ends the book in a very powerful way. That's the last of the, that's the last of the chapters. Um, there's a conclusion, and we added an extra reading from uh, an address he gave uh, on Daniel, who really embodies everything Ryle is saying. He gave it later on at the YMCA in Liverpool, but we added it. It's a really great addition, I think. But here's how Ryle finishes the book. He said this, um, I would be content for you to forget everything else in Thoughts for Young Men, if only the importance of prayer might be impressed upon your hearts. Like that, that's a remarkable thing for an author to write, <laughs> isn't it? I mean, as someone yeah, yeah. who has written books, uh, I, I think that if we were to say, I don't care if you forget everything but this, that would be a great way of saying this is one of the most, this is the most important thing. So for Ryle, prayer, living in communion with God uh, through prayer is, is ultimate. And that is something that young men um, must do. You must pray. You must pray. If you're going to, to be a Christian, you must pray. If you're going to grow as a Christian, you must pray. Uh, and he drives that point home in a marvelous way in the last chapter before the conclusion and uh, Daniel. Yeah. Wonderful, wonderful, brother. Well, where can people go to find out more about you online, on social media or otherwise? Sure. You can um, check me out at, at, at Bennett W. Rogers on Twitter or at Bennett W. Rogers on uh, Instagram. Uh, I've written some more stuff on Ryle. I wrote a, a biography of Ryle called uh, A Tender Lion, um, the life, message, and ministry of, of J.C. Ryle. Uh, published that with RHB a few years ago. Um, I have edited and introduced a new co- a new edition of Ryle's Simplicity and Preaching for um, 
for the ministers and work Christian workers and really anybody who wants to learn to speak uh, better as a, or communicate better as a Christian. I think that's a great book for that. And done some other stuff here or there on Ryle and John Bunyan and things like that. Uh, but if you want to sort of see see me on social media, it's it's at Bennett W. Rogers, Twitter and Instagram. That's two N's, B-E-N-N-E-T and two T's, T-T, uh, W. Rogers. There you go. Yeah. And I encourage our guys and gals that listen and watch this to go ahead and follow you if they're not already. Uh, you'll enjoy that as I do as well. Um, you know, brother, there's a lot that we could talk about it just as we wrap up this conversation. Do you have a few takeaways? Sure. Um, one would be, I think we need to prioritize the discipleship of young men and, and old men. And, and Ryle saw the need to do that, you know, 140 years ago. I don't think that the world has changed considerably since 1888, but that need has not changed. Therefore, this book is still relevant. Uh, another big takeaway is that I think Ryle, as well as anybody, presents biblical spirituality, biblical reformed Puritan evangelical spirituality in the most accessible way possible. I, th- I can't, I can't recommend. I don't know who else does who else does what he does better in terms of taking robust biblical truth in very direct ways and uh, applying it, explaining it, and um, and making it digestible for modern readers. So uh, I, I love I love this book. I mentioned to you earlier, I think it, it really is. This book, uh, like Holiness by Ryle, like many of his other books, are, it, you know, you could, you could argue it's like the Pilgrim's Progress stated propositionally. And I think Ryle does that incredibly well. So if you want to tap into the riches of the evangelical spiritual tradition and the kind of Reformed Puritan vein, Ryle is a great entry point and a great synthesizer of that tradition. So I would encourage uh, anybody who's interested in in those things to check him out as well. Excellent, Ben. Well, we I've enjoyed talking with you today. Thank you so much for your time and this excellent book um, that you've edited, uh, Thoughts for Young Men by J.C. Ryle. I encourage our listeners to go ahead and and pick it up and enjoy it and wrestle with it and really think through and apply its message. So thank you, brother, for your time. Thank you, man. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to the Equipping You and Grace podcast. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe, rate us on the app, and share this with your friends and family on social media. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Twitter at Servants of Grace, on Instagram at Servants of Grace, or by searching at Servants of Grace on Facebook. You can also find this episode and many others like it on the front page of our website, servantsofgrace.org.